Can we just pray before we uh, listen to the word today? Just set our hearts. Father, thank you for what you're doing, just even in worship, God. Thank you for how you're moving, you're engaging us. Father, you're an engaging God. You're the one who runs after us first. Uh, You loved us first, God. So we thank you, Lord, for your word, which is true. We thank you for your great love for us, God. So Holy Spirit, come. Would you instruct? Would you teach? Would you comfort? Uh, We just do everything to your glory today, God. Amen. All right. So if you've been with us or if you're new to us today, what we've been exploring has been uh, why God, why? We've been asking the really difficult questions about following God, about the way things are in faith. Uh, And I don't know about you, but I really appreciate the ability to ask some of those questions. I think for a lot of my life, um, I I felt awkward or I felt just a little bit weird about asking some of these questions. I felt like maybe it was an indication I didn't have enough faith, or um, I thought maybe God might be mad at me for asking some of those things. And um, I'm just really happy to be in a community where we can ask those and understand that God, he really isn't afraid of your questions. You know, he's really not taken by surprise or uh, freaked out that you're asking him. Something like, God, why do you allow pain and suffering in the world? That's what we've been looking at the last three weeks. You know, it's not a surprise to him that you're even thinking that or feeling that. So what I love is that when we can get to the place where we ask God why, he's not afraid. And in fact, it's a place where we engage him in relationship. Just by asking the question, it gets us to a place where we're being more honest more true, more sincere. That's what he wants from us. He wants relationship. So as we're asking that question tonight, keep that in mind. You know, if there's a place in your heart where you feel like, ah, I don't know if I should be asking this. Maybe it's subtle. Understand that God appreciates it. He wants it and he invites it. So tonight we're going to be asking, why God, why would you make one way to know you? Why God, why do we have to go around singing, One way, Jesus. Why? All right, let's take a look at this clip. I can pretend to say what she's saying, if that would help. Uh, there's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live. That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world, that there are millions of ways to be a then human how do being. You please and, God? and many ways, no, but many paths many to what you call God. That and is her path crazy. might be something else. And when she gets there, she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could couldn't possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? There is one way, and there that is possibly, through Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you of people say there isn't. There couldn't possibly be. 
If you guys watched the rest of that clip, you would have seen a lady next to her who was like, <laughs> come on, it's one way. <laughs> you can hear the whole crowd there just going off on Oprah. And I mean, honestly, when I was watching this, I thought that, uh, I, thought that I was actually starting to watch Jerry Springer because I was, I was waiting for a Christian lady in the stands to come down and just like <laughs> smack Oprah. But, but, I mean, who doesn't love Oprah? Who... Who didn't catch a few episodes when their mom was watching Oprah back in the afternoon? Listen, does that sound familiar, what she was saying? How could there possibly be one way? What about Jesus? Why could there, why, how could he be so narrow-minded to think that there's one way to know God? Does that sound familiar to you, honestly? Like, emotion of the head? Okay, nice, here we go. So, my question then is, why, if you're like me, then there's been a lot of times in your life where you've been, you know, in work, you've been in school, you've been immersed in a crowd. Let's just say, you know, they're not people that come to church every Sunday. And if you're like me, you've been a little bit nervous about bringing Jesus up into the conversation. Let's be honest. You've been a little bit nervous about bringing up what you do on your Sunday night or your Sunday morning. And I think the reason, or a big reason for me, has been, you know what? I just know the odds are there's somebody in the crowd who's going to have that objection. And you know, suddenly, I don't know if you remember this when you were at recess, when you're an elementary school kid, a little boy or a little girl, suddenly I start to feel like a little boy who uh, maybe sees the four-square game going on, but I'm just afraid to join because I might get spiked on. I mean or cherry bombed, or whatever the word was in your school. I don't know what it was. Cherry bombed was ours. But I feel like I'm just going to get wasted by whoever has this objection, because I do. I feel, I feel pr- like I'm making a pretty strong claim when I say Jesus is the only way. So anyways, if you're like me, you probably had that circumstance once or twice in your life. But you know, what can we do when, when Jesus makes these wild claims about himself? Like this verse, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, Jesus is really, really clear about who he is. And he's really, really clear about his exclusivity. So the popular Jesus that gets on, like, Jesus is my homeboy hats and stuff, like, people really dig the sandal-wearing, hippie, shaggy guy, but, like, he makes some really bold claims about himself. So what are we to do? You know, we're in a society, we're in a... I just described Jonathan Frist. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Well, we're in a society... Jesus, Jonathan Frist, I mean... What's the but basically, we're in a society where this cry is really strong. How could you possibly think there's one way? There's millions of ways. But we feel really awkward knowing what Jesus said about himself. We feel really awkward engaging people who have this objection. So as I've been thinking about it, you know, I really think, I'm, I realize I'm just not concerned with persuading a non-Christian through Scripture that Jesus is the only way. I think a lot of times what we try to do in Christianity is convince people who don't have the Bible as their authority we try to convince people through the Bible that something is true. 
But when we're starting there and, you know, somebody doesn't think that the Bible's authoritative in their life, who cares? So why are we trying to say, well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. They don't even believe the Bible's true. They don't even believe that, that what was written was written who it said. So why do we try to take the authority of the Bible and just slam it over somebody? We live under the authority of the Bible. We live under the authority of Scripture. Be clear about that. I'm not saying we don't live under that. But we have to adjust our approach. We, a lot of times, you can show the slide, a lot of times what I think we do is we become a megaphone and we need to be the ear. So a lot of times what we try to do is we just broadcast what we're being taught in church over an entire community, over an entire uh, group of people. But if we were just to take a minute and listen to why people resist the things they do, we might have some more insight and we might have the ability to respond biblically to what their objections are. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Can we be some, some bigger ears rather than megaphones? Okay. Well, in trying to be an ear on this issue, I've been listening. I've been listening to our culture. I've been listening to people like Oprah who make these objections. There's a lot of other people, not just Oprah. Um, but, you know, one of, the, one of the objections I come across to there being a one-way religion is that the world is shrinking. You know, there's diversity. There's hundreds, thousands of cultures which are rich and beautiful all across the world. And how can we become aware of this diversity and still maintain that there's one religion, there's one right way? It's, it feels pretty narrow-minded. That's one of the objections that we come across, is that, uh, you know, in a, such a diverse world, how can you hold so fast to one religion and claim that it's better than all the other ones? Another one I come across is, hey, listen, we're living in a modern society, okay? So I read the Old Testament. Uh, you know, the stuff about the goats and uh, the animals getting slaughtered, I don't, I don't think that's really like, what's the deal with all this religion stuff anyways? You know, so as a modern society, we should have a more sophisticated look at God. And so what do we do? We boil God down into some sort of consciousness or awareness or some sort of presence that's in all of us. And so whatever religion you choose, well, that's appropriate for uncovering the God that's within. So we need to take a sophisticated approach to looking at God. It's another objection I come across when I listen to this. You know, third, and this is what I think the most important one is, I just, this culture, this generation more so than any other generation, is marked by fear. Marked by fear when it comes to a one-way religion. And there's a really good reason for it. Cultures, they're shaped by history in many ways. When you trace the history of religion in our world, you go back, go back to maybe some of your history books in high school. You don't have to read back too far until you start to see incredible abuses of religion in the world. Go back to the Crusades in the name of religion. People swept across the earth, slaughtering innocent people. Thousands of people lost their lives in the name of God, in the name of religion. Fast forward a little bit. In the name of religion, you had witch hunts. People burning other people at the stake for reasons rooted in their religion. Fast forward a little bit more. You have the Holocaust where Hitler, in his, in his aspirations 
to eradicate an entire people group leveraged much of the church at that time to put forth his agenda. Fast forward a bit more to present time. In the name of religion, you have people crashing airplanes into buildings and killing thousands of people because their perception of religion was that they'd be rewarded for such an act. There's no wonder, and you can't blame the world around us as we become the ear. You can't blame the world around us for objecting to the idea that there'd be one world religion or one religion. It's scary stuff when you think about it. And honestly, I have to agree. I have to agree that one-way religion is a very scary concept. Because religion is based off of control, off of fear, off of manipulation. And if you don't believe me, you just got to read a history book. Whenever you've seen men or women use the institution of religion, it's usually been to exercise power over a lot of people. And it's either ended up in a lot of death or some other sort of tragedy. See, as we're, as we're becoming the ear and not the megaphone, or as we're becoming people who try to just have a pulse in the culture around us so that we don't have to just avoid the four-square game, we actually come in and play and don't feel like we're getting spiked on, you can take that to the bank, that they actually have a point about the dangers of religion and why, why they, they become an Oprah and just start saying, how could there be one way? How could there be? But here's the thing. Fear has a really, really powerful way about blinding us. Fear is very, very good at creating blindness. You know, you see it on an individual basis. Um, I knew of a guy who, who was afraid of the elevator, so what did he do to get to the 20th floor? He'd walk up all the stairs. He didn't care. He was afraid of the elevator, so he was going to take the stairs. Gets to his meeting really sweaty, having climbed... However many stories that is, I don't even know. A little more personal, individual fear experience. My wife, Erica. Uh, earlier on in our relationship, it was raining one night. We were about to go out to eat. And, you know, usually when it's raining, you make haste to get to the vehicle. It's raining. You're getting wet. So I'm kind of running ahead to get to the vehicle to open it up. And I look behind and I see this. And I was like, I kind of laughed because I thought she was imitating, like, I don't know, like a granny or something. She's like doing this thing. And I was like, what are you doing? And I laughed. She was like, I'm afraid to slip. And I was like, what? It's not like you're just going to just suddenly lose your balance and just fall on your head. But she was afraid to run or walk briskly. <laughs> I'm going to be... <laughs> Fear, it blinds us. You see it on an individual basis. Even people who, who fear flying, you see this. They'd rather drive for two days rather than take a plane for two hours. I mean, fear, it blinds the way that you look at things. But, you know, even in a more serious way on an individual basis, fear, uh, for instance, fear that's inspired because of, of the unknown. So if somebody's of a different race and, and there's... There's un, you don't know about that race. You don't, you're not familiar with that type of person. Fear can create blindness to who they really are. And then atrocities are committed out of that fear and out of that blindness. 
So fear as a blinder has blinded our culture. You know, what it does in essence is, you know, it blinds us to the way things are. And it causes us to behave in a way that's irrational, but safe. Let me say that again. Fear, it blinds us to the way things are. And it causes us to behave in a way that's irrational, but it's safe. So what, is, what does that have to do with the fear that's been inspired into our culture by one religion exercising control over a group of people? Well, for one, it causes us to have blindness. It causes us to say, you know what? You know what? There's no absolute truth. Whatever religion you choose is good. Whatever you choose will help you see the light. That's fear. It's fear because we've seen one religion, something unique, just wreak havoc over, over the whole world. So we're blinded on a large scale as a nation, as a culture. And that's why we resist saying there's one way. There's one way. Uh, I love John Mayer. And I mean... John Mayer posts, like, your body is a wonderland, John Mayer. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he, like, really just crossed into new realms, I think, after he got popular. And anyways, like John Mayer. Let's show this, let's show this slide. This kind of illustrates another, another cultural indicator, the song belief. Uh, we're never going to win the world. We're never going to stop the war. We're never going to beat this if belief is what we're fighting for. It's pretty... It's a pretty strong statement. It's, it's, it's saying, why do we care so much about belief, about doctrine, about one, one set of core values? Why do we care so much? You know what? Believe anything, believe nothing. It doesn't matter. What really does matter is how we treat each other. But, you know, I think belief should influence the way we treat each other. Do you, do you agree? I mean, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is one of the blind spots that our culture has, though. We get afraid at what one religion has done. And we start to make statements like, oh, what you believe doesn't really matter. You know, belief, it's neither here nor there. It's another blind spot because of fear. Look, put it this way. If God had wanted to have a religious organization rule and reign, over the world. He would have sent a board of directors. Okay? But instead he sent a person. Let me say that again. If God wanted a religious institution to rule and reign over the earth, he would have sent a board of directors. He would have sent a group of people to be organized in some sort of a institution fashion. I'm struggling here. But he sent a person. That's the point. He sent the person of Jesus so when the whole world is pointing fingers at there's no way there could be a one-way religion, we stand with them and say, heck yeah, I, I don't like religion either. In fact, I follow a person. And that person is the revelation of God who came to the earth and gave a picture of what the Father was like. I don't know about you, but when somebody hears that I go to church, that I'm involved in this and that, I hate hearing, oh, so you're religious. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever heard, oh, so you're religious? I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know what you mean by that. Uh, like, what do, you, what do you mean religious? Because I, I try to not be religious. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Because 
when I look at the life of Jesus, Jesus looked at the religious people and he said, hey, you guys, can I just paraphrase what he would say to the Pharisees? He'd say, you guys are using religion just to exercise control over people. And you don't care about what's on the inside. You don't care about relationship. You care about exercising a place of authority with a certain, you know, the rules and regulations that come with it. You guys, Jesus is the one pointing the finger at religion, dead religion, and saying, this isn't the way. There's another way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God didn't send the board of directors. He sent a person, a person who invites us into relationship. You don't have to feel like the awkward kid not wanting to get into the Foursquare game, okay? When, when people are pointing fingers at religion, they're pointing fingers with Jesus at something he despised as well, and that he tried to use as a point of illustration to say, this is not what I'm about, this is not what my father's about. I'm about something different. Remember what we said was the main thing blinding our culture, it was fear of what's been done in the name of religion. Well, when I look at the person of Jesus, I see a life that was lived in such a way that I have no reason to fear. In fact, when the Bible says that God is love, and he's perfect, we can say he's perfect love. It also says that perfect love casts out fear. So when Jesus came to the earth and he demonstrated what God's heart was for mankind, that was perfect love should come down. And when we look at the person of Jesus, all the fear, everything that comes, all the baggage that comes with religion and dead religion and man's religion, it gets cast out because he demonstrated what perfect love was. When we look at Jesus' life, we see things like the Beatitudes we see where the gospel writer Matthew recorded one of Jesus' sermons to people that were gathering. If you can imagine, tons and tons of people just gathering to listen to what Jesus had to say. Why? Because they were magnified to him. They were just attracted to him. There was something different about what this man Jesus had to say because he was just bringing a whole other measure of what love even meant. So you see it right here in uh, Matthew 5, 43 here. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When we look at the person of Jesus and not the deadness of religion, what we come under submission to, what we say is unique, is God demonstrating his love for the world and saying, you know what? Love your enemies. Pray for the people that make it hard for you. Jesus backed up this talk by going to the cross. He literally died for his enemies. He literally died for the people that were nailing him to the cross. When we follow the person of Jesus, when we get wooed into a relationship with God through Jesus, the person of God, that's what we're coming under. That level of love. What reason is there to fear when the leader, when the guy who's making all the rules is saying, love your enemies? 
What genocide can we fear when the law that we're supposed to live by is love your enemies? You guys, this is what the world needs to hear. Do you believe, this is what the world is longing for an encounter with the person of Christ. Not the deadness of religion that's just been leaving a trail of destruction all throughout time. People want this. People want to know the heart of God. They want to know the God that would, that would go and die for his enemies. Are you getting me? This is the gospel. We always say this is the gospel and we get fearful about saying the gospel is such and such to somebody. Why? Because in their mind, it's all about going to hell. But the gospel means good news. The good news is that God gave us a picture of himself. And that picture was the person of Jesus who came and said, I'm going to die for my enemies. This is how much I love the world. And we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to go and show the same level of love. But we're living in a world that's starving for an encounter with the person of Jesus, but they're afraid to call him the only way because they've seen religion have a lot of collateral damage along the way. But God did not send a board of directors to throw an institution over the world. He sent the person of Jesus. And through that person, we're invited into relationship. I was journaling about this. I just want to let you in on just a couple sentences of what I feel God really laid on my heart about when Jesus came to the earth. I was just saying, and from that person, he invites us into relationship, that person being Jesus. This person came in the form of Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed and demonstrated that God was not angry with the world, but rather his heart was longing for relationship with his creation. Instead of demanding salutes, Jesus served. Instead of organizing large groups around fear and manipulation, he drew crowds because of his miraculous mercy and compassion. This is the revelation of God that came to us. This is the revelation that God came. This is the picture. He's dying to show himself to the world, and he did it through Jesus, a person. And so when you're, when you're feeling like a little bit awkward because you don't want to chime into the conversation, you can be confident in this. If, if you're a believer, I'm talking to you right now, if you felt awkward about bringing up Jesus because you don't want to be pointed at as a narrow-minded, narrow-thinking person, point the finger with the world at religion and then show them the person of Jesus. Point the finger, <laughs> the right finger, with the world <laughs> at religion, okay? And then show them Jesus. This might sound simple to you, but I'm telling you, people are dying for a love encounter. Give it to them. Give them the love encounter with the living Christ that they want. You're equipped to do it. You know what you have to do? Just love the same way that you were loved. Just love the same way you were loved. If you're not a believer, if you don't follow Jesus, if you, if you kind of put yourself in the category maybe of Oprah, then this is, my, this is my challenge to you. Can you just put away for a minute all of the garbage that the institution of religion has created throughout the history of time. Can you just set that aside for a second and then look at the life of Jesus? My challenge to you this week would be to read through, get a New Testament, read through the gospel accounts. These are just the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life 
how he, what he did while he was on earth. Look for the claims that he made about himself, but also look for the standard that he set for love. If you're still fearing submitting yourself to one way or saying that one way is unique, I'm not going to argue with you. But to me, seeing the life of Jesus played out, knowing that that's God wanting to show his heart to the world, that won me over. And it keeps winning me over week after week. Meditate on that. Love your enemies. That's the standard that he set, and then he did it. He carried it out. That was his, his whole life was about taking back what was lost, us, even though we were being completely ridiculous. He still chose to do it. So as you're living your life, as you're going about, don't be shy. Don't, don't hide behind, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I go to church. It's, it's good for me. Da, da, da. Show them Jesus. Point your finger at religion. Show them Jesus. He sent a person which just is an open invitation to know him. As we think about that, I just want us to close our eyes. Picture right now a family member, a friend, a circumstance where you knew you wanted to bring up Jesus. You knew you wanted to show them Jesus but you felt like you either didn't have the words or you felt like you are going to come under condemnation from them for being narrow-minded. Picture that person right now. And just ask God, God, would you show through me to this person the revelation of your love through the life of Jesus? God, would you show that person the level and the law of love that Jesus came to establish, would you show it to him? Because I guarantee you, if every one of us in this room who knows Jesus acted out on that prayer, acted out, went, just even visualized yourself going to that person and saying, you know what? This is Jesus. I just want you to have the right picture here. We would start to see some major changes in our culture because perfect love casts out all fear. So, Father, we just invite more of your presence right now into this room. Uh, Lord, we just invite a deeper revelation of who your Son is. God, we invite you to creatively speak things to us right now that we need to hear for that person. God, would you root us even more in your love? And would you help us to show Jesus, the person of Jesus, the revelation of your heart, for the world. We love you, God. We want your love to be made known all across the world to every nation so that we could truly be free and that this world could truly be free. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Amen.